0: Have you ever given serious thought about what it is you wish to live for? In Genesis 36, we're given a snapshot of Esau's genealogy. There's a distinct impression made as we take a look at the descendants of the man who was driven and governed by carnal impulses. For the Lord is our defense... One of the surprising aspects of this chapter is that God would give such significant space to the descendants of Esau. So what's going on here? Well, it is proving to us that what was declared to Rebekah in Genesis 25 is coming to pass that two nations were in her womb. In the opening eight verses, we're given the names of Esau's wives as well as his sons born to him while still in Canaan. What's interesting is that we've already been given the names of Esau's wives in chapter 26, 34, and 28, verse 9. But the names are different. Now, some think that the wives named in this chapter are different than the wives named previously. But what is more likely the case is that the names given here are the original Canaanite names of his wives, whereas before we were given Hebrew names, names perhaps that Esau gave to them once he realized that his wives were a grief to his parents. We're also told that Esau has five sons and multiple daughters and that they all permanently relocate to Seir at some point. i'm not sure exactly when that happens. We know he already was in Seir, but at some point they permanently move there when the livestock of Jacob and Esau becomes so great ...that the two can't stay there together. And so, Deuteronomy 2 verse 5 tells us that Seir was given to Esau by God as a possession. In verses 9 through 14, we have the next chapter of Esau's life. He now has grandchildren that are being raised in Seir. Verses 15 through 19 shows how God of Esau's children and grandchildren... ...raises up dukes or clan chiefs is the idea... It's just a brief way of indicating the fruitfulness and prosperity of his descendants. In verses 20 through 30, we're told of Seir, the actual man rather than the place, the the one after whom the area is named. The details given allow us to see that Seir was the father of Anna, who was the father of one of Esau's wives. Now, we're also told that this Anna, one of the father-in-laws of Esau, Uh, was the one who found mules in the wilderness. Now, there are a couple of issues with that particular text. One relates to translation, the other relates to interpretation. Now, the issue with translation can be seen in many of the newer versions of our English Bible, because they refer to hot springs rather than mules. Now, what's going on here? Well, I can't go into all the details. What I can tell you is that many of the older rabbinical sources prefer mules rather than hot springs. So the translation of our authorised version isn't necessarily wrong. As for interpretation, the question really is, is this positive? Or is this a sad reflection of the summary of a man's life that he found mules? Verses 31-39 through 39 record the kings of Edom. And we're told that this is long before Israel had their own king. And it doesn't appear to be a family dynasty it seems as if the authority moved from city to city, perhaps dependent on which city was most powerful at any given time. And the names by and large are all secular. In fact, in verse 38, you have a name which includes the word Baal in it. So there's a, a degrading here where now there are those that are even worshipping false gods. From verse 40 through 43, you have another list of what looks like jukes, but is including what seems to be the detail of those who had districts named after them. And so this is the record of Esau and his descendants, otherwise known as the Edomites. This people group would eventually turn on Israel. They would forbid them from passing through their land when they were going through the wilderness. They would eventually end up in battle against Saul and David. Prophecies then would be made against them by Obadiah and some of the other prophets, again because of their treatment of the people of God. And then finally, when we come to the New Testament, we have Herod and his descendants as they occupy a throne, showing their their hatred and animosity toward the Lord Jesus Christ and the apostles. But shortly after that, they're nowhere to be found. To this day, the Edomites are wiped off the face of the earth. And so we come to application 1. Understand why previous generations did something before you ignore them. We know from Genesis 26 that Esau's wives were a grief to Isaac and Rebekah. Now, Esau ought to have known, I mean, he would have known about the whole story of how Abraham sent his servant to find Rebekah as a wife for Isaac. This this should have lodged in his mind Just how important it was not to marry someone from Canaan. And yet Esau completely ignores it. He runs roughshod, as it were, over this detail and acts like it's not significant. Young person, don't be quick to dismiss the beliefs and principles and practices of previous generations. They may have something for you to learn. Uh, Think of it in terms of Chesterton's fence. Now, you may not know what I'm talking about, so... Since I don't have time, I encourage you to go and research it for yourself and then ask yourself the question, with what Chesterton teaches in this, how does that tie into the fifth commandment? Bottom line, what you need to learn is, until you really understand why a generation did something, you have no business casting it aside. You need to understand. And you may discover, especially as the years roll by, that they knew something and you may wish you had listened more than you tend to do. Two, the church is often afflicted while the world flourishes. Esau and his descendants begin to prosper and multiply and and seem to go on fine, while Jacob and his descendants are about to be led into Egypt, ultimately to suffer slavery and bondage. Even to this day, we see the same thing. Sometimes it seems like, wicked movements and false religions thrive while the church suffers. If you're discouraged by such things, just look again at this passage. See how despite the appearance of prosperity in the Edomites today, they're nowhere to be found. Whereas the seed of Abraham, those who believe in Christ are all over the world. Let us walk by faith, not by sight, and trust God as he advances his own kingdom in this world. Three, since God was faithful to bring a nation out of a reprobate, Christians should be in no doubt concerning the promises of God to build the kingdom of Christ. Esau was a profane and unbelieving man, and yet God said a nation would come from him, and he sovereignly brought it to pass. Why is it that so many Christians are pessimistic concerning the church? Here we see God keeps his word, For a profane man. How can we be in any doubt as to his honouring? He is going to honour the person and work of his son and the kingdom of Christ will spread across the nations exactly as the Bible says. Four, the church is always just one generation away from extinction. If Jacob and his family go the way of Esau, there is no hope. And so we are dependent upon God continually, for the preservation of his own cause upon the earth. But it is never in doubt. And we're, we see the, the, the folly of Jacob and his children. We're going to see more of it as we progress. And yet, as I say, it is never in doubt. God will bring to pass his purposes in this world. He will cause his name to be honored across the nations. However, it should be sobering to us all as individuals and as families. At any given moment, Our own family line may become like Esau's, carnal, worldly. We may prosper materially, but we have lost out with God. Oh, may we be sober-minded, and may each of us, fathers, mothers, children, faithfully give ourselves to God and to Christ to walk with Him and serve Him all our days. And finally, none are more blind than those who only live for today. Esau was such a man. And he married the daughter of a man who was known for discovering a creature that is a mix of horses and donkeys. That's the summation of his life. It may be that perhaps the Holy Spirit, by including this detail, is causing us to ask ourselves, is this what I want to be known for? I discover certain creatures, a hybrid of of creatures between horses and donkeys. (laughs) I mean, is that it? That's what we're known for? it would seem to me that the man who goes and shares the gospel with a, even one person who has never heard it before has accomplished more than Anna. So, so this, the, let this be the takeaway. And children, listen carefully. This whole chapter is a list of people who did nothing with their lives. Now the question is, what are you going to do with your life? Is it going to be nothing? I never did anything meaningful or important. I serve myself. I serve my own ends. Oh, children, young person, even older people, don't waste your life. Give your life to Christ. Share the gospel. Make it meaningful because you're living for something other than just this world. You're trying by God's grace to bring others into the next, even to be with Christ.